You have one new message. First new message sent today at 1.17 p.m. Hey, Brandon. Uh, it's Trevor from Terran, Toronto. I'm outside your front door to record the podcast. No one's here. Um, I see the door is open, a bit cracked, but uh, I don't want to just come in um, because uh, I, I don't know you guys very well yet. Um, what the hell is... End of message. To save this message, press 7. To delete it, press 9. You have no new messages. Goodbye. The last episode is finally here and Halloween has arrived. Our normal stalker finishes his work and none shall remain alive. If any souls escape tonight, the killer shall return to remind them of the terror that is. Slasher Fest. So, this is the final episode in our Slasher Fest series. Uh, thank you guys. If you haven't checked out the first three episodes yet, please go back and check them out. They are available to listen to, download, enjoy over Halloween. Uh, happy Halloween to everyone, by the way, which is today. So, on our final episode of our Slasher Fest series, we decided to do the series that very much signified the resurgence of the slasher subgenre for much of our generation. That is obviously the Scream franchise. Um, Nick and Trevor will be joining me throughout the show, and uh, segments two and three will be entirely an open panel. But I did want to start the show off talking a little bit about the first Scream. The 1996's Scream, originally titled Scary Movie, and apparently written by Kevin Williamson in just 30 days, Scream has gone on to transcend genre film, and by many, including yours truly, is considered to be a modern horror classic and a cultural touchstone. Being a kid when this film first came out, I can tell you that I remember lines and plot points from Scream being uttered from the lips of classmates throughout my school, not long after we returned from Christmas break. My cousin, who was in her freshman year of high school, experienced this to an even greater extent than I did. Word of the film spread in a way that very few films ever do. It went viral in an old-fashioned sort of way, I suppose. I saw Scream theatrically when it came out uh, in a tiny little uh, movieplex, like the type that only has like 100 seats in it, at the Scarborough Town Center. Oh, right I know which one. Yeah. The old theater the, the, they the, had the there? one that was inside the, the, the mall. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And, I know what you're um, talking about. I actually only got to see half of it. Um, initially, because uh, there was a fire alarm that went off, yep. So we so pretty... we got kicked out of the theater oh, and got tickets to go see it. Uh, so I went back the the following weekend, and uh, I loved it. It was great, and also just around the halls at school, um, people were talking about it. And for a horror kid, that's really exciting because people had sort of discounted horror for a long time, and the fact that it was getting popular again was like super excited and 
people uh, started coming up to me and asking me, oh, I really like Scream. I know you like scary movies. What else should I check out? So, yeah, yeah it was an exciting time. That's Trevor from TerrorInToronto.com that you just heard, and you're going to hear more from him later on in the show, as well as he's obviously with us for the other Slasher Fest episodes, which if you haven't heard them again, go back and listen to them. It's been so much fun doing this. Um, moving along, though, it's interesting to note that when Wes Craven was first asked to direct this film, he initially passed. And while the chronology is a little murky, a number of other notable directors, such as George A. Romero and Sam Raimi, were offered the job, also opting to pass. Craven eventually had a change of heart, apparently spurred on by a fan who expressed their displeasure with the state of the horror genre at the time. It's also important to note that when he signed on, Drew Barrymore was attached to play the role of Sidney Prescott. She would later opt out of the role only five weeks before shooting was scheduled to begin, expressing her desire to instead play the role of Casey Becker. Yeah, I I remember being blown away by, uh, by that opening sequence, and I'd like to start with that sequence. We talked about in previous episodes the idea of um this kind of lineage from psycho all the way down trickling throughout all of the american slashers particularly and um i love that opening sequence with drew barrymore i also love the fact that you're really caught off guard by the fact that like uh, drew barrymore who is an actress that we grew up with literally from et to adulthood mm, and we grew up with situated as like a known actress she is the star of the film and uh, for her to get axed, get axed first, that early, in yeah, the first five minutes, pretty much. It's very psycho, very, uh, and it's a very brave choice, even in '96. So, well, it paid off. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It did. It's also interesting that many notable actresses also read for the role of Sidney Prescott, including Alicia Witt and Brittany Murphy, before the role ultimately went to Nev Campbell. It's also kind of cool that both Wit and Murphy would go on to play the role of the final girl in other 90s slashers, Wit as Natalie in Urban Legend and Murphy as Jody in Cherry Falls. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Nev Campbell's casting as as this film's final girl, as Sidney Prescott. I think the casting of uh, Nev Campbell is interesting because she was a huge television star. Exactly. And for a very uh, wholesome role. And... and I think the success of Scream and, and the casting of her um, uh, in the role of Sydney um, sort of got the ball rolling in regards to uh, casting other television stars uh, for for these sort of teen horror mm-hmm. um, renaissance. And you could say the same essentially for Courtney Cox at the time. Friends, very very successful television star, huge, huge, and, yeah, and. Uh, and and that's not really had no business uh, being in a slasher in a lot of people's minds at the time. Nobody thought of it. Well, well, why would she? Yeah, you know. Usually, people get their start in making a million dollars an episode. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Yeah, one of the highest paid actresses on television. Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, and one of my favorite castings was Jamie Kennedy's character. Yeah, Jamie Kennedy alone. I can't even think of another movie that I like him in. Uh, like I, <laughs> he, he is Randy. Yeah, and it's not even that. We all. I mean, we're all sitting around. We're all fil- we're all film buffs here. <laughs> I'm a film enthusiast. Okay. <laughs> you're, a, you're a buff, all right. 
So I, I mean, do some buffing. We can relate to his character because he's seeing everything that's going on. He's a movie junkie. And it's like, okay, I can relate this to a movie. Mm-hmm. And this might happen or this might happen. This and He like starts plotting out scenarios. Mm-hmm. And they're feasible scenarios, mm-hmm. which is incredible. And it's brilliant writing on mm-hmm. the part of Kevin Williamson to make, with the Randy character, this fucking exposition machine that still has character and flaws and humanity he is literally just delivering information to you that you need to enjoy the film he is literally the character he could just he could he's basically doing like a a shakespearean chorus as brent would say if he was here you know coming onto the stage and we pick up with our characters at this kind of thing right like he's giving you the rules of the world he's giving you the insights into how a horror film works for the uninitiated um and at the same time, you he they it's brilliant, brilliant writing because how many times have you said to yourself like we joked in the Suicide Squad episode that like fucking uh, um, Joel Kinnaman's character was literally just there to be like oh there's Slipknot he's the guy who can climb anything and stuff like that characters in these sorts of films are endlessly endlessly vapid when they are just put there they're stale when yeah, they're just when put they're there. just put there to but this one, basically but his be character a con- yeah, she, just... he's the conduit to the audience brilliant and it's the right way yeah referencing horror movie referencing horror movies referencing other films mm-hmm. and just making sense to you it's like okay people are not going to just you're not going to understand what i'm telling you mm-hmm. But if I reference a movie that you've seen before, which is an iconic film, you'll or understand. Or even that you haven't seen before. Yeah, true. Like, I hadn't seen Prom Night. I hadn't seen... Um, I had seen Halloween, I think. No. No, I hadn't. I had not seen Halloween when I watched this film. Uh, I knew who Jamie Lee Curtis was because, ironically, the one film that I had seen with her in it was True Lies, I believe. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, I think. Such a great movie. But I knew who she was in any case. Um, and, uh, so that exchange between him and Stu, where it's like, I want to see Jamie Lee's breasts. When do I get to see Jamie Lee's breasts? Um, was like, I, I kind of, I interpreted from that. Although you have this Stu character that's just like this, um, embodiment of, in that scene, at least of, of like male teenage hormones, um, and then you, in, in the Matthew Lillard, Lillard character, who is brilliant as well, um, and then you have Randy as this kind of virginal, you know, film nerd kind of thing, and and I love that, uh, you know, it's, I still was able to interpret, okay, even out of that scene, so a lot of these classic slashers, there's a lot of boobies, okay. And, and it's it's a really really well written piece, man. Yeah. I fucking dig this movie a lot. I think it's it's really extremely well crafted. Now we mentioned in the hacker episode that I have a, um, a particular uh, love for another Skeet Ulrich film, which is uh, sometimes called Hackers Two, but it's uh, Takedown or Trackdown, uh, also a Dimension film. But um, I really really like skeet Ulrich as uh as billy loomis i think he's everything that that character needed to be um and and i i think he he's just he's fantastic i think he's he has all the right beats of sweet and sour and psycho that you need in a killer and the i cast all around as well yeah 
Now we already talked about Rose McGowan a little bit. Um, I had, I still to this day, I like if someone says Rose McGowan to me, and she's been in some great flicks, but Scream's always the one that pops up. Uh, I know it's, I hope that doesn't diminish her standing with our listeners or think that I'm, dim, or they think I'm diminishing her standing as an actress, but, uh, I I just I love the character of Tatum. I thought she was fantastic in the film. I thought she was adorable in the film, uh, personality wise, and obviously quite attractive. Needless to say, um, and as a as a you know a ten year old boy, and then watching it on VHS, entering my teenage years and so forth. Um, yeah, you know it, it'd be alive. I didn't say I I watched that film and was sad every time Tatum kicked it. Not gonna lie. A few other interesting notes on the cast for me include Courtney Cox having to fight for the role of Gail Weathers. Cox has often said in interviews that she was seeking to get away from the nice girl, smart girl roles she was being offered as a result of friends. I also find it interesting that David Arquette was brought in to read for the Billy role, but opted to read for Dewey instead. Matthew Lillard was also asked to read for the role of Billy on a whim when casting director Lisa Beach spotted him visiting his girlfriend at the time, who was also a casting director who worked in the office across the hall. And last but not least, a few thoughts on Roger L. Jackson, the man on the other end of the telephone. I personally absolutely love the decision to keep him separate from the other actors in the film and have him speak to them over the telephone while watching them on a monitor as the scenes were filmed. While this is certainly the role that he is most well known for, he also voices Mojo Jojo in the Powerpuff Girls and his resume of voice work in film, television, and even video games highlights the true diversity of his skill set. His work through the four Scream films is absolutely chilling, and it adds so much to an atmosphere of danger and intrigue that truly makes this franchise one of a kind for me. What's your favorite scary movie? It goes without saying that Scream was a unique piece for its time because of its self-referentiality, its celebration of its horror predecessors, as well as pop culture in general and maybe most importantly its heightened expectations of its audience when you hear drew barrymore remark how the first a nightmare on elm street was good but the rest sucked or tatum likens their situation to something straight out of a wes carpenter movie hell even wes craven and sam raimi's shout out battle continuing on in this film it's all a wonderful connection for an audience to be in on the joke with the filmmakers and for those who aren't in the know which was where i very much was seeing the film at age 10 or 11 it was encouragement to get up to speed do the required reading so i could be in on the joke too i've also always loved how the film feels real but not really real woodsboro seems like it could be any small town in america but there's something about it that's also otherworldly like something isn't quite right. We talked in earlier episodes of the Slasher Fest series on some of the slashers from the 80s that were shot in Canada and were dressed up as small-town America, or even something like Haddonfield, Illinois, actually being filmed in California. And it created these unique backdrops where the setting itself almost felt like it had a secret to keep. And I believe Scream very much achieves a similar aesthetic. Now, it's not hard to see that the 1978 John Carpenter classic Halloween 
is obviously a significant film to Kevin Williamson. Billy Loomis feels like a nod to the Donald Pleasance character from Halloween. The whole go down to the McKenzie's house to call the police. Uh, Halloween is Drew Barrymore's character, Casey's favorite scary movie. And obviously it's the film that seems to play out forever through the final act of the movie. I also just want to give a quick slow clap to whoever made the decision to put a stripped-down, low-key version of Don't Fear the Reaper in as a music bed during the first intimate interaction between Sidney and Billy as he climbs in through her bedroom window. Like, what the fuck? But it's genius, so... I don't know about you, but I absolutely love that about this series. The Easter eggs always make me smile. Oh, quickly, one of the signatures of Ghostface in these films is the way the killer wipes the blood off the knife after a kill. Now, from what I've been able to find on it, this seems to have been a decision made on set to help with continuity. No need to use a particular take with or without blood on the knife if the killer is constantly wiping that knife after each kill. How very sneaky of you, Mr. Craven. This, the whole like costume itself mm-hmm. was like something never seen. Like I mean, Jason wears almost like a, a mechanic's jumpsuit. Freddie wears just a sweater and a pair of slacks. Mm-hmm. But this is actual. This is like an actual costume. Yeah, that's and feasibly anyone could buy at a party store or a costume shop. And it's literally, it's, it's so excellent like, well, that they actually well, go into that, mm-hmm. that they say that. Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers, they look out of place mm. in society. But if you have a time where it's like Halloween or costumes, like the, 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 the Scream costume looks like a costume. Mm-hmm. So they can hide in plain sight. Yeah. Which is the point which, of the which, film. Which, yeah. is, which is very scary. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you see Jason coming down the road with his rotting head. You know something's wrong. Mm. But, you know, it could just be a bunch of... That's so uh, cool. I mean, it makes it feasible that this character can be fucking anybody. Mm-hmm. And that scares the shit out of me more than just a supernatural killer. It could be anybody. And let's talk a little bit about the now immortal Ghostface mask. It's become common knowledge that the Ghostface mask was not an original creation for the film and instead was found while Wes Craven and producer Marianne Maddalena were doing location scoutings in Santa Rosa. Maddalena saw the mask on a bedpost in a house they were scouting and being taken with it. She immediately showed it to Craven and the rest is film history. However, there's actually much more to say on the mask. First, I've heard reports that the house that was being scouted when the mask was discovered was also used in Alfred Hitchcock's 1943 film Shadow of the Doubt. Now, while the kitchen in the Riley home is said to have been shot in the same house, 904 McDonald Avenue, from the production photos that I've seen while snooping around ye old interweb, it seems to indicate that Madalena actually came across the mask in the room that would eventually become Tatum's bedroom, which is located down the street at number 824 McDonald Avenue. The next thing that's interesting to note is that while many mock-ups of similar masks, but legally different, were made by K&B effects for the film. Craven opted to begin shooting with the mask that they had found anyway before they knew the mask's origin 
or more importantly, if they would even be able to secure the rights. Obviously, they did go on to locate the Masks creator, a company called Fun World, and now there's even a fun twist in the Masks' origin when it comes to Fun World. We've all heard the stories of the mask being modeled after Edward Munch's painting The Scream, which seems apt considering the film's eventual title. However, the title change was encouraged by Bob Weinstein, who apparently was compelled to suggest the change as a result of the Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson song, also titled Scream, and nothing to do with the Munch painting at all. Additionally, the Hollywood Reporter interviewed Wes Craven prior to his passing regarding the executive producer role on the then-upcoming MTV Scream show, which has now been confirmed for a third season. And he spoke a little about the absence of the iconic ghost face mask from the TV series. However, more interestingly, in the same piece, there are several quotes from Bridget Slearton Linden, who is slash was cited as the original designer of the ghost face mask. She claims her inspiration for the design of the mask was very much thanks to the work of 1930s cartoonists such as Max Fleischer and that the Munch painting is not where her inspiration came from. Now, I said slash was earlier because Fun World has also claimed that Alan Geller was the mask's creator. And just to clarify, Alan Geller, son of Stanley Geller, who founded Easter Unlimited, the parent company of Fun World, would have been Slearton Linden's boss at the time. It's all quite confusing, trying to figure out the origins of this mask. It's like trying to figure out the killer in the movie. If they'd watch prom night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. Now, it's hard to talk about Scream without mentioning the now infamous scene 118, the party at Stu's house. It's over 40 minutes of the film, and while I feel the subject has been beaten to death by behind-the-scenes documentaries on the film, I would just like to say that it's interesting to consider that scene 118 was shot over something like 20 nights in this creepy house on a hill that the owners had died in before they could finish their home. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone asked me to spend 20 nights in that house, I think I'd pass. You want to do a round? We haven't done this the entire Slasher Fest Round of run. favorite scenes? Favorite scenes. Oh. Nick, you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Um, the garage door scene. Yeah? Walks out in the... <laughs> Rocks out and walks out into the garage, grabs a beer, and he's just standing there. She's not treating. It's kind of funny because I don't think she treats it like no, Mister Ghostface. Please don't kill me. She's or not taking him seriously the, yeah. because it's just a normal costume. She, she in thinks her it's eyes. Randy. Yeah, yeah. It's not a normal costume that scares the shit out mm-hmm. of me. It's just a, you don't know who it is, mm-hmm. and then she dies. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, favorite scene, sir. Um, I think pro. Uh, Outside of the first scene, the first scene is by far my favorite. It's it's great, but I'm not going to count that. So uh, the the, uh, the final death, you know, the the big reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just seeing the insanity on Stu's face when he thinks, oh, yeah, yeah. When, when everything's being revealed. Yeah, I don't want to give spoilers away for nineteen. Yeah. Uh, 
1996 scream film. 1996. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and, and when they're stabbing each other in the stomach and stuff like that, like that, that, yeah. that really got under yeah. uh, my skin. Yeah, yeah. it's like oh, yeah. I don't like seeing knives uh, go into people like that. So right on. Yeah, I've got. I'd like to mention two. One isn't a real favorite. It's just one that stands out for me because we haven't mentioned David Arquette at all, who is really fun in the film. Deputy Dewey? Yeah. I like the scene where uh, – because he's trying to be taken seriously the whole film. And he's standing he's standing with the uh, the chief and he's eating a fucking ice cream cone as they're talking about the fucking murders uh, and the curfew and so mm-hmm. forth. And it's just so perfect. Uh, and then the uh, my favorite scene of the film, though, without a doubt, is is the uh, uh, Henry Winkler kill. Oh yeah, um, Winkler Winkler was the yeah. principal, wasn't he? Yep. Mm-hmm. So when he and it starts mm-hmm. off with him with the scissors cutting up the mask, and he's like, you know, what would be fair, and he does, he, you know, basically threatens those two kids, um, and then they, you know, get out of here, you're expelled, whatever, and then of course the great Wes Craven cameo when he starts hearing noises and stuff and he opens up the door and he's like, you little shits. And he, he sees, uh, uh, or Wes Craven goes, you talking to me and not you, Freddie or not you, Fred yeah, or not you, Freddie or whatever it is. And, uh, he slams the door. And of course, Wes is dressed up like Freddy Krueger with the, the hat and the fucking sweater and shit, which is also probably where I learned about Freddy Krueger. Like someone probably explained that to me because I was 10. I don't think I had seen um, uh, a like a Nightmare on Elm Street previous to that. And I don't think that that even encouraged me to. I think that I just then knew. It was like they showed me a picture or showed me a movie cover or something like that. I don't you, think Freddy Krueger is probably like – Yeah. I, I, oh, that's one of those old movies or something. At age 10, you don't know. You want to watch fucking Robocop for a 400th time. You know, that's what I did every, every day. Robocop. <laughs> in a terminator um the crow and uh in any case um yeah i love that scene and then of course the killer is hiding behind his door and plays out wonderfully from there it's, it's a good kill it's a good kill and it's a good moment and then of course later it plays back out when you hear about the you get the they get the phone call randy gets the phone call and they learn that he's been strung up and gutted on the um, on the goalpost or whatever, or the flagpole or something like that. Really cool. And everyone's like, "Yeah, let's go!" They're yeah, so excited. that's right. Yeah. And then they all fucking barrel down the driveway, and that's when Dewey and uh, yeah. and uh, um, Gail Weathers has to have to fucking dive. <laughs> and it's like, is this what you've been looking for my whole life? <laughs> there's so many great moments with dewey like when oh, he's going yeah. going on the walk with courtney cox and uh they, she falls down and she, and they're looking for a car and she's mm-hmm. like is that what you're looking for he's like oh my life yeah and then she just gives a smirk and then <laughs> looks over and it's like oh it's his car yeah this is neil prescott's car um the other one that stands out is the um how does it go uh i, I am 25 but i've been 24 for a whole year or I was 24 for a whole year because she talks about how her demographic mm-hmm. is from 18 to 24. I just missed you or what's something the, like what's that. What's the one line that Sydney says in her room to uh, the boyfriend? Would you settle for PG? Oh, yeah. Because he keeps referring. He was watching The Exorcist and he mm-hmm. came over. And, and It's like, would you settle for PG-13? Yeah, yeah. 
Depending on the version of the story that you've heard, the film was rated NC-17 by the MPAA eight times before finally achieving their desired R rating on the ninth attempt. Concessions the filmmakers had to make included decreasing the gore that viewers see as Steve is gutted in the first scene. Uh, Oh, also in the first scene, that terrifying ramped-up dolly shot that Drew Barrymore or Casey hanging from the tree... uh, that, that scene is absolutely chilling the way it is, and I can't even imagine it playing out in real time, but apparently that was not ramped up in the original cut. I've also read that the film had a much more savage look at Billy and Stu stabbing each other in the final act, but in the same scene, the filmmakers were able to save one now infamous line delivered by Skeet Ulrich that the MPAA was not overly fond of. Now, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos for creative. As a final thought on the first film, you'll notice in the credits it reads, no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District Governing Board. This is as a result of Woodsboro High having to be relocated to the Sonoma Community Center last minute when uh, parents and faculty became concerned about the content of the film at the uh, at Santa Rosa High's uh, original shooting location. So they opted to not participate in the filming of Scream 1. So let's fast forward to 1997, Scream 2. This film picks up uh, with the events of uh, of the first film, of the Woodsboro Murders, uh, and the best-selling book by Gail Weathers being adapted into the film Stab. Stab one. And they're watching it on the screen. You have this wonderful scene uh, with Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, you have this, like, just... You have arguably one of the you know a very big name in the opening sequence two very big names like mm. let's not undersell Omar Epps like especially around wow. 97 he was mm-hmm. fucking he was huge he was a he was a, a big player so um that was creeping <clears throat> itself that scene alone it it creeps me out for opening nights mm. especially if people do dress up and go to a theater yeah because if it's a fucking horror movie and people are dressing up as a killer what is to stop a real killer to dress up and Go in there and start stabbing somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's and you also have Heather Graham playing the Drew Barrymore role on the screen as that all plays out, which is very funny. And and of course you have even more meta observations from uh from Jada Pinkett Smith's character, <laughs> where you have this um, you know, like why do you always have to be naked? You know, and these kinds of things. Like why is she always getting in the shower? It doesn't make any sense. And you know, like run 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 like all this. she gets very invested in the movie despite wanting to go and see the sandra bullock movie who wouldn't want to see sandra bullock and she's complaining about white people and white people movies yeah, and whatnot, yeah. playing with race and then they introduce the trope of the the, the black person is always the first person to die mm-hmm. in the film and it's it's, it's uh just adding another layer to and it it's just of, it became mm-hmm. such a stereotype and it's like i'm pretty sure it's like the screenwriter's like yeah, we got to address this. We, gotta we address have it. to address this. But at the same time, it's more of the fuck you to the stereotype. I and it's funny it. because one of the few films that I can think of where that is a fallacy, uh, or rather that trope is um, is uh, risen above, is uh, Dream Warriors. 
mm. right? So, because Kincaid makes it out. And I already You're, mentioned about my uh, transformation mid-film of not really relating to Kincaid at all to absolutely adoring Kincaid. So, uh, the first kills play out. I love the, the, the way that they're both uh, killed where, of course, Omar Epps gets it in the fucking head through the bathroom stall, which is really cool. Then Who does that? Who like sticks their ear up to listen to what the person? Like I'm hearing some weird stuff in the men's Let stall me next to me. I'm going to put my ear up to it to see what it. Yeah, because I can listen better. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, that. If, I think he might have been asking. I like for, it. I, I like it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's it's like somebody's asking for that yeah. at that point. It's interesting. Didn't uh, did. Um, did they do a, a in scary movie? Did yeah, they, they did. Except it was joke? a glory hole yeah. and it was a penis that went through both ears. Yeah, that's like, that does death by, death by penis. The scene does play a little bit like that. I'm not going to lie to you, like a PG-13 version of a glory hole. Um, you know, that's okay though because I still love the kill. I think it's really cool. I think the cuts are really interesting too, where you just cut and it's very fluid, very clean. Where you see him, uh, where you see the killer. Pull out the knife, you get that signature like chink in that film. It's almost more of like a uh, like un like taking a sword out of its sheath or something like that, rather than a knife. But it, it's very signature sound to the film series again, and then plunging it through the the bathroom stall, and of course taking his jacket and um, and going the, back to the seat, Jada watching P- the film, and, and Jada Pinkett Smith still complaining about the film, mm-hmm. but getting into it more and so forth, and then of course her falling apart, uh, both literally and figuratively in front of the screen and these people initially think that it is part of the um the production put on by the cinema her her performance in that scene moaning that oh. the sound of her voice moaning really gets oh. you it it, it feels very real so let's move along a little bit obviously the prank calls are picking up again with the release of the film for sydney she's still attending classes her and Ra- uh, randy she, go to school together she's more She's still skittish at this point. Mm-hmm. I still find her character not as strong as it's grown to be, but like mm-hmm. at this point, she's still like coming off of high school. She's skittish. She's yeah. She's um. She'll get. She's easily startled. She won't fight back. Something I like about Sydney's character throughout, and per- perhaps it's something that because I don't see it in a lot of Final Girls um, as a standard thing. Nancy has it in in. Uh, nightmare um i think uh, helen has it to a certain extent in Candyman. i think uh, a handful of like the big ones do um but the the one that uh, the the thing that i love about her character is almost this um this very human reaction to crises so uh like it's like the adrenaline kicking in mm. and you either it's it's the um i've heard the term used fight or flight and I like that term because it's either you're either going to stay and confront the situation or you're going to bolt, bolt. And, and try and run from the situation, whether literal or metaphorical. Mm. Um, and, and obviously she is a fighter. So it's not indicative of her personality on her, in her day-to-day life, like mm-hmm. you just said, but it is very much indicative of her in a crisis situation. And it does become more prevalent as the film series continues. Absolutely, because it it's also changes with her perception of the world. She perceives the entire world as a crisis at some point or another in the yeah. film, which is it's, it's kind of fucking terrible. We were talking about it off-air. I wouldn't mind 
us elaborating a little bit more, Trevor, you had mentioned um, the introduction of the Mickey character in that film school scene uh, or in the film class scene when they're talking about uh, some of their favorite movies and so forth like that. And we were talking about uh, Sarah Michelle Geller in that uh, scene. And um, yeah, obviously, was, they, what year was this? Here? They, they, this is 97. Oh, so this is Buffy time. Yeah. Um, well, going back to, to another TV star being brought in. Exactly. To, to and she was making huge some cast, good money. Huge cast. Yeah. Man, I can't believe this fucking cast looking at it. Yeah. Um, Which really I'm, speaks to how popular the series was in 97. Very oh, cool. this was a big event, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I love the that scene that I was talking about because I love the... It's very much the way that... You know, my friends that, or for example, people on this panel talk to one another, you know, and uh, it's yeah, to trash talking each other and cracking jokes, and it's uh, another opportunity for Randy to set the stage for for part two. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, now, uh, Jerry O'Connell. I'm a real big fan of the scene where he's singing to Nev on, yeah. on the top I of the think table. I love you. And I'm like, when I first saw that, I'm like, oh, he has to be the killer. Yeah. You know, it's like, first I'm like, okay, it's not going to be the boyfriend again. But I saw that and I'm like, oh, this has to be it. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave it away already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just Which so. Which they didn't. It was, it, was, it was so over the top. It yeah. would have been easy to do that and sort of, yeah. Mail it in. Mail it in. Sorry, I just have to butt in again. I wanted to mention that there was a script leak on the internet in the very early days of the internet that resulted in months worth of rewrites on this film, as well as a lockdown on scripts and multiple versions of the script being written to avoid the ending getting out. Now, this is commonplace nowadays with scripts leaking onto the internet every day but it seems so foreign at the time and for many actors this was the first experience that they had had where they would get a script careered to their home and then they'd have an hour to read it or two hours to read it and then it would be careered back to the studio and they wouldn't be able to make notes on it or any of the other normal prep things that actors like to do when prepping for a film they definitely push the comedy a lot more with Dewey's character. Yes. And the, there's a lot more comedy in this film. Yeah. He, he's and definitely the, yeah, much more the, of a buffoon. Memorizing the and pages. And he's got the limp and he's walking around. Yeah. And, and uh, but I like that. It's, mm. uh, you know, he, 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 there's a great scene um, where I think that they're, they're in the quad and, uh, or maybe he's talking to Randy or something mm. and Randy's like, well, if I'm a suspect, you're spe- suspect. And he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's yeah. so funny. I love uh, Cotton Weary's uh, interactions with Sydney throughout. So it goes from ver- being very cold and so forth. And then you, obviously Joe, you, you have know. that zinger at the end. Um, Sydney really treats him terribly. Yeah. And then that, that sort of sets like, well, maybe he, he could be the killer because yeah. it kind of puts actually, it in your mind. Not only did like, he get wrong, but he's also getting no, uh, you know, uh, forgiveness or retribution. He's not getting yeah. anything back. He's like, she totally screwed his life. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. No, that's um, and uh, when he gets mad at her in the library, it, it feels 
like he's about to lose loses uh, lose control and lose like, control start strangling her yeah absolutely yep, absolutely highly effective favorite scenes gentlemen from scream part yeah Sydney punching Courtney Cox <laughs> again again I uh, I like CC uh, Sarah Ma- uh, Michelle Geller's uh, kill. Yep. Oh, great. Yeah, it's it, very uh, <laughs> like '80s sorority house movie, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It. And sort of a little nod to to uh, Drew Barrymore's uh, scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it uh, you know it, it gets it gets the ball rolling, and it's yeah. it's very intense. And when uh, she gets thrown off that roof, and the thump is just like, oh my god. Yeah, this is going to be a good movie. <laughs> you hear that? I'm sober, sister. Awesome. You know, yeah. That's how it all kicks off. Yeah. Oh, it's terrifying. I concur. Um, I wanted to quickly mention before I do my scene. I also love how the the joke from the first film carries over with um, uh, Dewey going, I, "I would see you as a young Meg Ryan," and and uh, Nev Campbell replies, "Oh, with my luck, they'd probably cast Tori Spelling." And of course, they do cast Tori Spelling as Sydney mm-hmm. in the film, which is fantastic. My favorite scene. Uh, I like the the surprise of the TV van kill. Um, oh, were the guys in the back? Yep. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to have to go with. Uh, oh, there's so many good ones. What have, what haven't we talked about yet? Shit, that's good in the film. Do he get shot again? Yeah, he always gets fucking cut up. That guy's just, you just always think he's dead. That's why I don't think it would have any impact if if he was killed. Um, oh fuck it, I'll do the TV van kill. I like the impact of that uh, kill in the back of the TV van. That's rocking around. Yeah. And uh, and then obviously the ramifications of it in later films. And even in that moment, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, that's it for them. They're all fucked now yeah. because of uh, of what happens there. So that that one. And this is where Jamie Kennedy dies as well. That is the scene where Jamie Kennedy dies. I was yes. trying to be uh, subtle, but now that you've, yeah. That's great. Now that you've ruined the movie. The but movie's no, from 96, yeah, it's 90, 97, so yeah. Um, Filmed in 96. Yeah. Just, so, just to keep me from being Okay, right. I like when Randy gets killed in the back of the fucking TV van um, because he's talking. Uh, they're, they're looking, uh, obviously, like uh, um, David Arquette and Courtney Cox, they're, they, they split up to look for the killer on a phone, and uh, Randy is standing, talking... Uh, to the killer and trying to keep him on the phone. And then, of course, they won't find me and, you know, why? And that'll exchange. And he starts mouthing off to him. And then the door rips up. Or, no, he starts mouthing off about Billy. He starts talking about Billy. And uh, and then... Door rips open. Door, door opens and... Goodbye. And horror ensues. And it's another one of those implied killings. Almost goes back to the first killing in Slumber Party Massacre a little bit, doesn't it? We were mm. talking about that in earlier episodes. Um, I like it. One of the lines that uh, Randy delivers in in that scene is is uh, the killer talks some shit to him. I think about never being with with uh, Sydney ever. Yeah, never being. And he's like, man. "Fuck you!" I yeah. love it. Yeah, love the it. way he says yeah, "fuck yeah. you" is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
With Scream 2, it seemed Dimension had a new sort of Christmas tradition on their hands, as the film, like the first, being released during the holiday season, took in over $32 million domestically in its first weekend. And one thing that we've yet to really discuss is the many fun cameos sprinkled throughout the series. Linda Blair plays a reporter in the first installment of the franchise. Obviously, Wes Craven dressed in the Freddy Krueger hat and sweater plays Freddy the janitor. Matthew Lillard shows up alive and well at the sorority party in Scream 2. It's also interesting to note that he actually received a paycheck for Scream 3. Presumably, there was some sort of thought process about finding a way to bring Stu back as the killer in the third film. How it would work, I don't know. Uh, Revenge for his mom and dad being mad at him, I suppose. That line, as well as, you hit me with the phone, you dick, from the first film, obviously famous for being ad-libs by Lillard. Other cameos include Roger Corman making an appearance as the studio executive in Scream 3, concerned with the violence in Stab 3, Uh, Carrie Fisher working in the studio archives, also in the third film, and Wes Craven makes his second cameo in the series alongside Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes as members of the tour group visiting Sunrise Studios, and they're being guided through the studio by casting director Lisa Beach as the tour guide. I'm sure I'm missing a ton, but you get the point, so keep your eye out for them. All right, so that's more or less it from me. We're going to switch over to the panel, which is comprised of Trevor from TerrorInToronto.com, Nick, and myself, and we're going to talk a little bit about Scream 3 as well as Scream 4 and the TV series a tad bit, Uh, and then we're going to wrap up the show with some modern era slasher type flicks. Uh, We're going to suggest some of the ones that we've seen recently and really dug, uh, or ones that we just haven't had an opportunity to talk about today. Um, Before we go to break and come back for the panel, uh, I wanted to make a few notes on Scream 3. Now, this is the first film in the series that Kevin Williamson did not have much involvement in from a writing standpoint. While he was not the sole writer... On number two, Craven, among others, working on the script when Williamson was stuck away working on other projects, his outline for Scream 3 is very different from what the film ended up being. I've seen interviews with Aaron Kruger and Lita Calagridas, who both worked on the script for Scream 3, and Kruger in particular talks about how Williamson's idea was to bring the film series back to Woodsboro and stage the production of Stab 3 on location there. He went on to say that the actress taking on the role of Gail Weathers was a concept that Williamson outlined, but that very little else remained. I also wanted to mention that I recall seeing an interview with Patrick Lussier, who was the editor on the first three films in the series, where he recalls an alternate opening for Scream 3 involving Sidney and a friend being attacked by a crazed fan who had donned the ghost-faced costume and attacks Sidney, who ultimately kills her attacker resulting in her decision to hide herself away from the world. How far that idea went, I have no idea, but it certainly is interesting. I know that Nev Campbell was not contracted for a third film, but made the decision to come back. Perhaps her scheduling availability made this opening sequence an impossibility. 
perhaps Columbine and other horrific tragedies encouraged them to rework the tone of the film. Or maybe they just really wanted to shoot those talk show style cutaways for 100% cotton. We may never know. But in any case, when we come back from break, we'll join the panel with Trevor and Nick and myself, and we'll get into Scream 3, 4, and the TV show. All right. Scream 3. Shall we? Starting this one off, it's the death of Cotton. Yes. And he's got his own TV show, and things are starting to come together. I love together. how he's all in white <clears throat> yep. at the start of this film. He's just dressed in white, like the white knight, like this cleaned up guy. He's cleaned up his act. Mm -hmm. He's got a TV show. He's all happy. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing he's dating somebody. I can't remember. Yeah, who. he's got a girlfriend. Although the phone call in the car starts with the implications that he perhaps might be a tad bit promiscuous. And that is where the white knight status of the last film that he, he garnered by being or making the noble choice at the end is mm. immediately diminished. So it allows um, subconsciously, I feel like, for a little bit more acceptance of his impending fate. That, he has his flaws. That being said, it's still very impactful and also worth noting. This is how do you up the ante in, in the third film? Now, Ghostface can be anyone, and now he can sound like anyone. And this is the first film that not only does he take on the Ghostface voice, but he also takes on the voice of the other characters in the mm, film. The voice changer comes into is, is pretty in play at this point. Exactly, and, and, and that's... I always wanted one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Just mess with people. So, that... And 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 that's where the film gets more and more fun because now you're as the film progresses, there uh, we'll get to it. It kind of becomes a whodunit. Yeah, it becomes a real whodunit because people um, who have survived the situations or have uh, interacted with the people who are then killed off have these connections. Like he, they said that they were talking to you, or this guy said he was talking to you, or what have you, right? Um, so that's. Uh, it's fantastic. Also, the use of a fax machine in this film I quite like because we always joke about faxes, sending faxes on this show. I love how Sydney's detached from everybody. Yes. Like she just takes herself out of the situation in general. I'm going to go live in the cabin in the woods mm. with my dog. Leave me alone. And that's where the film picks up is her being separated from but everyone. Do you, know what, do you remember what her job was? Uh, she was a uh, woman's crisis hotline um person and of course what brings her back into the fray or into the fold so to well, speak is that she gets a call well no it's that's... not that at first at first she starts having visions of her mom yeah well that you're i assume that you're supposed to infer that that's endless but yes um but she of course gets a call from someone who's called using the voice of her mm -hmm. dead mother and then starts messing with her mm -hmm. And, uh, and then she realized the game is now on again. And Dewey is working for... Uh, Dewey's the head of security for one of the actresses. I can't remember her name. It's Parker Posey, but I can't remember her character's name. Jennifer. Jennifer Jolie. But what was her real, what was her real name? Oh, I can't think of Jor J Judy Jurgenster. That's something like that. I remember Jergenster? that, yeah. Yeah. 
Really? <laughs> she just goes down stage name. She shouldn't talk Judy Jurgensen and just like shuts her right up. Yeah, that's a great scene. Her and Courtney Cox both being Gail Weathers. Yeah, and then, <laughs> of course Carrie Fisher. Yeah, I really like Jenny McCarthy. And I don't it, mind Jenny McCarthy. I thought she was. I thought she was exactly what uh, what that character needed to be. And of course, uh, what a great performance by Lance Hendrickson, who is phenomenal in everything. Has a great lineage of. Uh, films in the genre as well, sci-fi and e- everything else across I the board. Do, and I, I adore him. I do love how this film does give traction to Sydney's background and how tragic it actually is. Yeah, because like it all centers around Sydney's mom. It's mm. not about Sydney this time. Yeah, and I think that people were getting a little bit sick of the idea of like, you know, how am I going to find somebody else to fucking come out and seek revenge on Sydney? Mm-hmm. So with the idea of it being a trilogy, which of course it didn't end up being, but but it ties up loose ends. It came to a close with the idea of the crisis uh, ending, if you will. So everything comes back to Roman showing Billy and Stu the footage and blah, blah, blah. And everything makes sense. It all Roman's the you well, know, half-brother and all these things. So it also goes into... So we've already started spoiling shit, also, so let's just keep going. Yeah, Randy's, <laughs> Randy's last words, the video that they, they get yeah. from Woodsboro. Oh, and that's great. And, and his sister like, comes out. And he starts <laughs> talking about, it's like, think about all the trilogies out there. Because mm. he even mentions it's a trilogy. Yeah, so rules are off. Anybody can die. Anybody can Sid. die, Sid. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Mick Dreamy's in this film. Did you know that? Patrick Dempsey. Yes. Oh, Grey's Anatomy fame. No, I'm he, kidding. He's well known beyond Grey's Anatomy. I'm just kidding around with him. He gets he's a, fantastic. He gets his nose broken and shot in the shoulder. Yeah. And then gives gives a citizen a gun and says, go get the son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I like how he plays it because obviously there's a physical attraction to Sydney when he meets her. And obviously there's a um, an attraction to her from the perspective of... Um, someone who's clearly, you know, uh, who's been through the shit. Mm-hmm. Kind of a mutual respect between the two of them. Um, he's just but because he's seen of that, a lot of shit. Like yeah. He's a detective. B- because of that, um, because of his kind of respect and attraction to her, it almost plays as a little bit of a mild obsession. He wants to talk to her before she comes out of hiding. He, uh, he wants to have... Her stay at the police station and these sorts of things. And he's trying you know, to keep her where, where she ends up getting a call. And it's so interesting, of course, because it plays a lovely red herring uh, to the film. It um, kind of like he wants to use her to lure uh, lure out the killer, in my opinion. Absolutely. But for the viewer, you start thinking, hmm, is he the killer? And uh, I also like, um, like we were talking about again before we started recording, Nick, the idea of a um of setting the film on the set of yet another stab sequel so and they've gone that, beyond the story it's not even of, just a stab it's stab i think step three or step four return to woodsboro yeah something like that and then it forces like seven uh, no seven's in four okay but it's put sydney back in the bloody fucking bedroom, yeah her bloody bedroom and it's like she's already having bad flashbacks she's already having a shit fucking mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, the killer pops up. It's yeah, like, and is doing the mother's it, voice under the sheet again. Mm-hmm. But, at this, but at this point, she's not playing around. Mm-hmm. She tackles him down a fucking flight of stairs, I think. Yeah. And then kicks him out of garage oh, door. Yeah, she doesn't take any shit. 
And I, I love all of the, the people on set with the film. Obviously, Roman's flip free, freaking out because it's his first film. Uh, and and you don't know his role in, in anything so, um, in your first viewing. And I like... Um, that, like we were talking about the fax machine scene. So the the, the production has been halted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Patrick Warburton's already dead at that point. I think he already got the call from Dewey, if, or like what's perceived as Dewey to him, and he's making fun of him, calling him dewdrops and stuff at that point. And they're in the house. They're, uh, they're in Jennifer's house, uh, all of the cast, because the shoot's been wrapped for the time being until they can confirm everyone's safety. And, uh, and of course, they... Uh, they the one guy kicks it, the guy that's playing Dewey kicks it with the gas situation, the gas leak thing, and the faxes are coming through. Mm. And that's so cool because they have to keep running in for the faxes and how the scene plays out is great. I love that. I like the scene where Sid's in the washroom mm. and the girl playing her comes out and drops her bag and the mask falls out. Yeah. And, and she's just like, I took it as a souvenir. And Sid yeah. is just not impressed with her whatsoever. Yeah. It's like, you know what's going on. You're trying to – she's like giving her the warning. Like, you're going to implicate yourself. Like, yeah. Don't be stupid. And the other thing that's great too about – But she dies I like two seconds later. Yeah. She um, – because she'd been like a nice girl up to this point, kind to everyone and everything. So you think, oh, well, maybe she's going to make it through. And then all of a sudden she just starts – freaking out and talking about how she slept with uh um lance hendrickson's character mm-hmm. to get the role um obviously this film scores are considerably less 5.5 on imdb 36 well this is like this, i find on this rotten tomatoes sort of a decline it was more it starts laughing at itself at certain points yeah but that's a big drop off to go from like say for example rotten tomatoes has uh 81 percent on scream 2 6.1 on IMDb for Scream 2, uh, Scream 1 uh, is at, where are we here, 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, so it's actually lower technically than Scream 2, and then 72 on IMDb. Mm. So it's a big drop-off, and I didn't think the film dropped in quality that much. I thought the cast was excellent, um, and I love the interaction between Parker Posey and uh, yeah. and uh, Courtney Cox yeah. as well. So. What are you doing? I'm being Gail Weathers. Yeah. Okay, so quickly, favorite scenes on this one, and we'll wrap it up. Um, the part where Dewey... It'll fi- just be you and I, Nick, yeah. by the way. <laughs> the part where Dewey finally starts shooting at Roman and Sid's on the ground. Yeah. And Roman's just still running at him with a knife, and he's just popping shots off in the chest, mm-hmm. and all you can hear is Sid's like, head, Dewey, head, shoot him in the fucking head. Mm-hmm. Finally, he just gets one shot off. It's like... Did it? He looks up something. He was so proud that he nailed this guy in the head. <laughs> it's like, dude, you just killed a man. <laughs> but hey, good for you, champ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, favorite scene, I'd have to go. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna have to go. Cotton kill at the beginning. I think that's that's a great it's moment. It was. It's creepy. so good to start the phone call in a car phone on on an L.A. freeway and take that all the way through the house. Yeah, was, Him was freaking out. He jumps blindly into that house because his girlfriend's in there and he's terrified for her mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So it's um, brilliant. Great stuff. Great, great, great. Yep. All right. Quick talk on number four. We're not going to do favorite scenes for it because. Um, Okay, I got because mm, it's fairly recent. Mm-hmm. I don't know, um, Trevor. You want to kick us off because you haven't had an opportunity to say anything for like ten minutes. It's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Uh, Scream Four is okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> awesome, short and sweet. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> Did you you said you saw this one at the drive-in too, or no? Uh, no, no. Oh, okay. No, I saw Just... the Sun video when it came out. Oh, okay. Yeah, I um, saw it. I, I saw the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street at the drive-in. Oh yes, okay. See, I wasn't listening at all. I'm sorry. Oh, pa- bad host. Um, Scream Four. I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Yeah. Um, it's not bad, but there's not nothing special about it. Yeah, I was sad. Hate Hayden uh, Panettiere kicked it. Thought her character was pretty cool. She made it to the end at least. Yeah, she made it to the final act, so you got to give her credit for that. Okay, pretty cool. Sydney was good in it. Don't like Emma Roberts in it. I have to ask this question because I've been holding it since we started the fucking thing. Okay, you told me to write. Is it, it about down. using the bathroom? No. Oh, is it just me, or are the kids in this movie not afraid of fucking anything anymore? It's like, is it? Not afraid of fucking anything? They're not afraid of anything. Oh. Anything. Doesn't matter. There's a killer on the loose. Big deal. These guys, these kids just don't give a shit. Kids well, don't give a shit these no. days. Like, seriously, it's like they've become, is, is it like their way of saying that our society is desensitized to yeah. blood and gore and everything? Yeah. It's like, you guys are idiots. Mm-hmm. There's a killer on the loose. You guys are not allowed to town. Let's just go to a barn in the middle of nowhere and... uh We'll watch a horror movie. That's great. Mm-hmm. Sounds actually, it sounds pretty sweet. But I mean, as an adult, it'd be sweet. But as a fucking teenager in high school, yeah, you're just you're you're, you're asking to be picked. You off. would, as an adult, go out to a fucking barn in the country and watch and have a fucking movie festival out there when there's a murder on the loose. East isn't here, so I'm bringing the fucking level up. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, no, I'm just asking. Taking the taking the fuck out of it. Um, taking the fucking out of it. Um, I would go to a barn in the middle of nowhere and watch horror movies. If while like there's a, f- a killer on the loose. You're going to watch the films that celebrate... We're adults, the- Brendan. We've lived long enough. <laughs> Interesting. Plus, some of the kills were... I'm terrified of death, so I'm going to pass on some that Some of one. the kills were just ridiculous, though. Like, how do you take a, a knife to the f- top of the forehead? Like that. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> Right in the right at the very top. I don't think so. That would I don't think that's feasible. Yeah. Um, or getting zapped and electrocuted. I like the film. I thought it was one of the better attempts at uh, rebooting a franchise, and it was kind of a soft reboot, the same way as like the X Men uh, franchise did it with uh, the crossover between two generations in terms of Days of Future Past. Although in that particular film, uh, obviously that crossover is a red herring, which is also kind of cool. So is it a reboot? No, it's actually not. It just disguises itself as a reboot for the point of adding more social commentary to the very thing that they started off doing. Interesting. Which is cool. This is the closest we've ever come to seeing Sydney dying. Yep. I'm okay with her not dying. Do you know Dewey's deputy? Try saying that five times that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fast. The deputy that Dewey uses and has in Woodsboro, the girl? Yeah. Is Wendy Peppercorn from The Sandlot? Yep. 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 Yeah, it is. And there's also another one, too. Uh, um, obviously, his... Allison Brie, the assistant for Sydney, is also on Mad Men and as well as Community. Oh, really? Yep. Ah, I got to re rewatch it again. It's been a while. Yeah, there's a lot of people in it. The police officer, I'm trying to think of his name. It's really embarrassing. He's very well known. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. What's his name? Uh... There's two of them. Uh, Anthony Anderson is... Uh... Is really good in the film too, and as much as he, there's an example of a character that is completely just there for uh, an Adam Brody's the other one. You're absolutely right, yeah. um, completely there for killer, like fodder for the killer. But um, yeah, quite uh, you you relate to him, so pretty cool. Oh yeah, 
I do. Like, oh, and the meta opening. All the meta openings, and it's like these are these movies are shit. <laughs> it just keeps opening, opening, opening. Yeah, I like that. And they just and the kids are just like they're, they're getting fed up with this. Like, why do they have to do the same old story over and over again? It's like right. <laughs> Give me something new. Oh man, that's great. Any so, final thoughts on? Oh, sorry, you were gonna say. No, something? I was just saying it just it, it just felt old to me. Yeah, it didn't have the same um, muster as uh, as some of the other scream flicks, but I still I dug it. I laughed through the whole thing. Yeah, like I found it absolutely hilarious, yeah. like, gut wrenchingly funny. Kieran Culkin is like, okay, now. We're both gonna fi- we're both gonna fake getting injured, or we're both gonna be famous. And then she stabs, and it's like think back to number one. Always think back. It's only one person can survive a massacre. Mm. There can only be one hero. Yeah, there can only be one final girl. I think she even uses that expression, if I recall. There can only be one. It's Rory Culkin, actually. Rory Culkin? Yeah, I knew it wasn't Kieran because the character's too tall. Well, there can only be one. There can only be one Culkin. Uh, Highlander remake? Yeah, have you guys watched the TV series? Highlander the TV series? No, <laughs> Scream, Scream. Scream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like it. I've only seen a couple episodes. So. I don't like it. I heard the second season was uh, better. And I, I liked some of the latter episodes, like the middle to latter episodes in the first season because I thought that they facilitated the role as much like the movies did per se, an homage to other horror films. There's a lot of scenes that are reminiscent of other horror films and not just slasher specific. Um, so I did like that. But I, the mask being gone is weird because I know that it's a money thing and I know that, you know, it's it's a rights thing. So It just felt like... And I think that's forgivable. It's, I don't know. It's forgivable, but to a certain extent... It's compromising to me. and It's just not the same screen. Yeah. And, and so if you're not going to do that, just there's other shows that do slasher storylines. There's a show called Slasher, for fuck's sakes. Mm. Um, so, okay. yeah. Awesome. So... If you you can still deal in teen horror on television, so they 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 want the name, they want Scream, um, and that of course, uh, I don't know, it 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 worked for me. It it wasn't bad. I watched them, but uh, I haven't seen season two. Uh, I haven't watched. I watched like the the first season, and I may have watched one or two from the second season, but um, yeah, not bad. Worth a watch. Worth giving a shot to. It's television. It's MTV. So there's like everyone looks like they're in the fucking OC. OC, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any thought? Uh, sorry. You, no, I keep no, cutting you no, off. No, no, gonna... no, no, no. It's, no, it's fine. <laughs> um, love the Scream films. They're good fun. If you haven't seen all of them, watch them. If you have a chance to see any of them theatrically, go mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah. I just saw Scream 2 last month yeah, at awesome. the Royal for free. Nice. Um, they have a now magazine as a, a free uh, Mondays. That's right. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I saw you posting for that, and I was stuck at work. Yeah, I actually I got your like I got the alert for your tweet. Yeah, I'm not sure if I retweeted that or not, but I was like, oh fuck. Ah, well, I'm stuck at work, so fuck that. Yeah, but uh, screen movies are great, and I have to rewatch three and four. <laughs> yeah, they're worth it. Yeah. All right, Nick. Any final thoughts, sir? Just watch them. Enjoy them. It was like a. It's honestly in a time where like slashers needed a resurgence. Mm-hmm. Scream was that resurgence. Some of the best of that era 
I've talked on many episodes, and I'm, I'm kind of sad that we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Maybe we will in the next segment. I'm going to recommend it. It's going to be on my list, but uh, it, it paved the way so that we could have an era where you did get films like Cherry Falls, for example. And uh, that first fucking scene in the first Urban Legend is great. The fucking uh, someone in the backseat scene is just solid. Um, so, and, and none of those could have been possible without uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. None of these could be possible without the success of Scream. It paved so, the way for like the teen slasher films. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. It created its own subgenre of slasher. Exactly. It, it inserted some much-needed energy into mm-hmm. to something that was in a lull, for yes. sure. Awesome. And it was a wonderful reaffirmation um, of the fact that these sorts of films aren't for dudes or for women. They're for everyone. You know, and uh, my mom grew up being a big fan of this sort of film. And so it was inherent for me to seek out my own generation's uh, films of that sort. And uh, and seeing films like Scream made me understand much more about the things that my mom, who had to deal with a lot more boobs and butts and things like that and film, the things that she was connecting with, because it's all the same. It's, and good writing is good writing. Yep. All right, gentlemen, so we're going to come back, do our list of our final 10, uh, you know, slashers of modern era that we might recommend that we haven't had a chance to talk about, and and then get the hell out of here. It's been so much fun having you guys here. If I don't get to say it later, which I'm sure I will, because it's my show, I can do whatever I want. Thank you. It's been great. Awesome. Good fun. All right, so we are in the final stretch of Slasher Fest. It's been a lot of fun, guys. Thank you to everyone who's reached out to us over the past few weeks and uh, gotten in on it all October as we've been talking Halloween-type movies. Um, I just want to quickly tell everyone that we're actually going to be off. We're not going to be releasing a new episode uh, until November 16th, which I believe is the Doctor Strange reaction panel. I think that's what we're doing that day. So we hope you will join us then. Okay, so we're back, and it's the final segment of Slasher Fest. Ooh, this, is, <laughs> this has been great. I really appreciate you guys helping us out, uh, or helping me out, coming by and, and finishing up this last episode. Um, we're going to do just a quick roundtable on some of our favorite of the last couple decades of the aughts let's say and then we can do a little of the 90s too because we barely touched on them we basically only talked about scream um so you want to kick us off trevor okay what's um, your first recommendation first recommendation is the maniac remake yeah now you tried to push this one on me this week yeah yeah i love that flick that's a fucking fantastic movie yeah elijah wood uh uh actually mounted a camera on it and did uh, POV shots for the majority of the film. And uh, it's a French director. I forget his name. Frank Calhoun. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, written by uh, Alexander Aja, who also did um, High Tension. He did uh, Hills Have Eyes, the remake of that. He did uh, Piranha 3D. Uh, You know, he's come up with some good stuff. I didn't particularly like Piranha 3D. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, But High Tension is fantastic, obviously. Piranha 3D is fun. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but it's fun. <laughs> um, 
Okay. Uh, sorry. Any any other thoughts on Maniac? No, no, no. Awesome soundtrack. Um, really tense throughout. Uh, watch it. Watch it now. <laughs> I agree. That's a very very good way to start it off, sir. Nick, um, me- I will go with my Psycho Sweet Sixteen. Okay. It is dripping with cheese. This movie is honestly the most ridiculous, stupidly crafted film I've ever seen. But it's just funny because it takes place at a roller rink and like, and the killer is a man. He's called the King of the Rink. <laughs> and I he, love it. He just starts picking off teenagers at a, a 16th birthday party. That's fantastic. So yeah, I, I, I recommend this one if you're into like, watching really shitty like movies because this one is kind of shitty but you'll it's still a fun ride right on okay so my first suggestion would be laid to rest um 2009 flick and uh really memorable killer we actually used some of the footage from uh this flick in our promo trailers um really yeah i uh, this, Lena this, Headley. Yeah, this this flick is uh, kind of a throwback uh, to the classic era slasher um, with the machismo ramped up to, like, level 100 for me. Like, mm. very, very, like, uh, it's like a hyper slasher. It's very, very intense, and, and I recommend it highly. Cool. Trevor, I, what, I'd never heard of it before. And, awesome. and, and it's also very simple. Very simple flick. Trevor? Next uh, choice. Uh, the House the Dreaded Sundown remake. Yeah, so what's interesting about the remake, which shares the same name as the original, uh, The House the Dreaded Sundown, is that the original movie is based on true events, and the remake is self-aware that the first film exists. And it's like 20 years later or 30 years later or something, and the events sort of happen again. And uh, there, 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 there's a... A lot of um, sort of fake history to do with you know what the original filmmakers were up to, and uh, it's just if you like Friday the Thirteenth, um, it's pretty it's pretty uh, it's a pretty strong film. You know he's, he, the 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 killer in that is is very much like Jason, although he's not supernatural. Right on, mm. right on. Nick, you got another pick? Yeah, actually, um, the movie's called Shrooms. Okay, I've seen the poster for that, yeah. The movie's called Shrooms, and it takes place in an Irish forest with a bunch of teenagers from the States looking for psychedelic mushrooms, and then they're picked off. They're legitimately picked off one by one, stoned on, like, mushrooms. Interesting, 2007. I watched this movie. I was baked like a buddy. <laughs> like, I went to a I, I think it was New Year's Eve. It was my birthday, and I went to go see a buddy of mine. And I just remember watching this movie, and I'm like, this is... It's fucking ridiculous. Like a guy goes in the woods high on mushrooms, sees a talking cow, and the cow's like, "You're you're dead." Mm-mm-mm-mm. He's like, "What do you mean? I'm I'm alive." He's like, "No, you're gonna die." And the cow just wanders away. That's uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna go with High Tension as my next pick. Um, I really like this film. Uh, you might uh, also. Uh, if you if you like the film, I'll give another shout out to Alex from the Faculty of Horror. Uh, check out her uh, book, um, Films of the New French Extremity, Visceral Horror, and National Identity. Uh, she talks about high tension um, 
in great detail uh, in the book and has some very interesting insights into it. And uh, so if you go out and you like the film, check that out. Um, I was told time and time and time again by people how good this film was. Brent, who's been on some of our panels, like, dude, you got to see High Attention. Like, it just ramps up and ramps up and ramps up. And, you know, uh, just this, it's you get committed to this fucking movie. And uh, different people have told me you have to see this flick over and over and over again. And finally, so I, I did it and I certainly don't regret it. And I know that you will feel the same when you see it. Great flick. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Trevor, you have another suggestion? Uh, a little known film called The Hills Run Red, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if it's straight to video or not, um, but essentially it, it revolves around um, uh, s- somebody trying to tr- track down a f- uh, who made a film that apparently um, it was like a slasher film. But um, there's sort of rumors and speculation. Like it's a slasher film that wasn't distributed or anything. It's just sort of known about through a trailer on the internet that allegedly has real murders in it. Mm. So somebody goes to to the small town where it was filmed and sort of tracks down um, who, who made the film and who was involved with. And uh, I saw it randomly. I think it was a random Netflix movie uh, that I checked out. And I was like, this is awesome. So... Yeah, I uh, definitely check it out. I, I bought it on DVD. Very low budget, uh, but the scenes that look like the slasher film that they're investigating like look really old, really authentic. Um, yeah, highly recommended. Right on. Nick, you want to go next? You want me to go next? Yeah, uh, you go next. It's fine. Okay, I am going to go with the first Cold Prey. Now, there's three of them, and... Uh, they're varying in quality, kind of, sort of. Um, but I really, really like the first one. Uh, great, great flick. Uh, Norwegian film, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it's just, I think the film is even more intense for someone from Canada who understands the idea of the elements playing a role in um, the the seclusion and and so forth that plays out in that film and it's very very menacing uh, and I think I, I like the killer too pretty solid so that would be my next one um, it, it's as I said I'm not super fond of the third one I don't know how many there is I can't recall but I've seen two and three I'm, I I don't recall remember having very good reactions to them but the first one i remember thinking this is fantastic and being really invested in the characters really invested in the film so are you ready sir yeah i'm gonna go with uh see no evil okay with uh kane, kane. <laughs> nice it's i enjoy it i mean it's a wwe produced movie but at the same time it's kane just being demonic and just punishing children he's spanish isn't he no, he's not. He's yeah, American. he is. He's actually American. Are you certain? I okay. He's actually a mortgage broker. Just <laughs> the funny part. That's amazing. So yeah, I'll go with that. Okay, cool. All right. You want to do one more round? Yeah. yeah or we, we can, can do. do that. We can keep going as long as you guys want. You got a few more, Trevor. Um, Midnight Meat Train. Oh, Vinnie Jones, the remake? Vinnie Jones and Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper oh, really? as well, yeah. yeah that is a remake, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I believe it might be a Clive Barker 
film, yeah. or it might be based on a short story. Uh, essentially, uh, Vinnie Jones is a serial killer that stalks the subway, so anyone taking the last train home might not end up going home. Yeah, and it's really, uh, really graphic. Um, <laughs> people that are not looking for something hardcore should avoid it. Um, but uh, it's super scary and uh, takes some turns that. Uh, you don't expect in a, a film like that. Um, I respect that. Yeah, the the, the ending uh, caught me off guard because I hadn't read the sh- or did maybe I had read the short story and the short story ending caught me off guard. Okay, but I uh, may I, I could have the chronology inverted. But yeah, good good. Uh, Vinnie Jones actually plays a wonderful wonderful stalker character, and the twist with him, uh, which doesn't ruin the film. It's it revealed fairly quickly, I believe. Uh, it's of course that he has his tongue cut out. Which makes him even more menacing. Vinnie Jones that doesn't talk. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Did you have another one, Nick, or am nah, I going right now? Yeah, you're ups. Okay. Um kind of a cheesy one, but uh we were joking about it off air, so I gotta I gotta throw a little props to it. Um All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. This one is another one that kind of just plays into your typical horror tropes. Nothing special about the film really. Uh it does have an interesting aesthetic kind of I don't know. It's my my only problem with the film is how it's shot because the scale seems very very large, so it's hard to get that claustrophobic feel. Um, similar to the problem that I had with the Texas Chainsaw remake, like the scale seemed much too great for a film that's supposed to be that intimate. Mm. Um, that being said, though, it's a fun ride. It's uh, much like uh, some like other uh, uh, kind of recent releases, like uh, that movie Final Girl. It came out not too long ago. The Final Girls. The Final Girl. Oh, Final Girls. Or maybe there's another film called Final yeah, Girl. It's one where there's uh, one that the yeah, one I'm thinking of is the the four boys that uh, two of them are really good at picking up girls, and so they court this one girl, and then she takes them into the woods and kills them all. Okay, because they're they're not, they're yeah, gonna this is not that film. yeah they're gonna uh, I'll have to look it up while we're going continuing around, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of that kind of idea a little bit. Um, because their intent in that film is to kill her, but um, but yeah, I like this one. It, there's kind of a pseudo twist, but it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, not great, but enjoyable. Something to put some popcorn on and hang yeah. out and watch. Yeah, yeah. hang out it's and watch right. Amber Heard. It didn't come out for video for a very long time. It had some distribution issues, so I think it's only come out in the last couple of years. Mm. You got another one, sir? Um. I uh, I like uh, – I actually haven't seen the film that we're looking at on the screen, so I'll let someone else speak to it. Um, vacancy, another um, Luke uh, sort of like psycho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah where they, they, they're – you know, people are checking in and then uh, they realize they find a videotape that's essentially a snuff video of people getting yeah. killed in the room that they're currently in. And, and then Kate try- Beckinsale yeah. is the – oh, I know. Great. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it was a small movie. I don't think it got a lot of – uh, press I, I saw when it came on video and and i'm like yeah this is hardcore i like it yeah that's that's a yeah, good one so vacancy check it out i'm gonna go even though we were looking uh just a minute ago at uh, behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon um that's one that you should check out but i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna say that one is the one we're looking at and definitely check it out really good flick came out in 2006 um very very interesting look uh at um at the slasher genre and and uh unique style unique characters 
uh, and very, very uh, compelling for the genre. I have one. Um, but I'm going to make my pick, a film that I've talked about two or three times in, in the series uh, so far and that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about extensively, and that is Cherry Falls. Mm. Uh, another one of these films that came out uh, around the time that, that Scream was in its heyday. Uh, stars Brittany Murphy. Um, and uh, it's uh, also Michael Bean, who's obviously a favorite of Mermel panelists around here. Anytime Michael Bean's in a movie, it's like... Did he die? Uh, uh, yeah, he's got a similar thing to him that uh, Sean Bean does, doesn't he? Like, if he dies in a flick, then it's good. Oh, I thought you were talking about <laughs> Sean Bean. Never mind, then. No. <laughs> he's got a similar kind of thing around him. Like, dies in the first Terminator? Good. Kind of, maybe, sort of dies in Alien. You don't... Or Aliens... You're not really sure. You're not really sure, but good. So um, I, I I don't I, I won't uh, spoil. <laughs> I'll tell you this movie is good, and you draw your own conclusion. Uh, Jay Moore is also in the film as this kind of standoffish teacher, um, and it's it's very fun. Like it's a really fun movie. A uh, little bit dated, not going to lie to you, with the hair gel and the baggy jeans and these sorts of things. Kind of aesthetic, uh, reminiscent of teenagers in the 90s. Um, but yeah, and and for all of the sex talk and that kind of thing that, that happens in the film, uh, and even the culmination of the third ha- act where it takes place, takes place at a party, like a cherry popping party kind of thing or something like that. Um and it doesn't. Uh, there's there's no nudity in it. It's all very. It's um, the sexuality is like implied and um, interesting. It's fun. no nudity. I'm not interested. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, but there actually nope. That's a lie. There's a booby. There's okay. a booby in the third act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's something that we didn't really talk a whole lot about. Uh, we kind of avoided the topic yeah, yeah. of the skin. Yeah, it's sort of essential to a lot of these films, especially in the '80s ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that the the, the audience sinners, has changed. So. Sinners pay for for yep. their sins, but yeah, I guess people don't want to see it, or or, or it's a matter of uh, getting ratings to a certain degree in the states. It's uh, yeah. a lot tougher to get things but through the censors sure. than it used to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. before like before it's like people are like wow booby, and now it's like oh for God's sakes, we can see that on the internet for free. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yep, and the audience changing and. Uh, and you got to propel the story forward, and you got to make the hard cuts. We were talking about um, scream lagging a little bit. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they also injected a nude scene into that scream oh, too. Would not lag at all. If, <laughs> that would be perfect. I'd watch that over and over again. Okay, thank you, Nick. Yeah, yeah, Michelle Geller, I'm yeah, good. Thank yeah, you. that's wonderful. Nick's back in full form. Thank we you. We missed him. You were on such good behavior, sir. <laughs> if it's Sarah Michelle Geller, I'm I'm a hundred percent into it. I'm not going to disagree with that comment. No, I'm not. You can't disagree gonna, with that I'm, comment. Yeah, we all got a crush on Buffy. <laughs> Any others that we want to recommend before we wrap up our final episode of Slasher Fest? I do have one, but I don't know if you guys are consider it like a slasher. But mm-hmm. The Strangers. It's a, yeah. Strangers is great. Great movie. It's a home it's invasion a, movie. Yeah, same reason we didn't talk about your next. Mm. Um. And it's also along the same reasons why we haven't talked about Texas Chainsaw, because yeah. it's more of a group thing, I'm assuming. Yeah, and a lot of people do consider it slasher. Same as we didn't get into American Psycho. We talked about that a little bit in the first episode. There's lots of, lots of slasher concepts in it. And you can argue that the sequel um, that everyone has basically forgotten 
is definitely which they should uh is definitely um a slasher uh but you know the first is interesting because it it almost plays out like maniac so i guess you'd have to consider it a slasher although it's considerably more artsy but yeah um Strangers yeah. is great. Yeah. yeah. And it's just fucking creepy. Like, you look at the window, you see people, like, sitting mm-hmm. on, your, like, your swing set and shit. It's like, what do you do? Yeah, very reminiscent of, like, the Manson family or something <laughs> like that. Well, very... that's more Chainsaw, the Manson family, I would say. No, that's... No, because, well, not at all. Because the Manson family wasn't a cannibalistic actual family. The Manson family was a bunch of young people that were all involved in a cult. Yeah. I guess my final uh, film might not be a slasher as well. That's sort of why I le- left it to the end. It's a, a Korean film called I Saw the Devil, oh. uh, which is about a serial killer. So often that, that uh, but but a cop is investigating him and sort of gets trapped and, and sort of has to uh, deal with uh, being trapped by a serial killer and sort of use his wits to get out of the way. So I guess it's sort of torture porn, but it doesn't feel exploitive like that. Um, it's, But it's uh, it's really creepy, and you're basically stuck in, in it's a, a room hard. most it's, of the way. I saw The Devil has a fantastic score on IMDb. I, you know, I'm going to have to check this out. It's, it's, I've heard it's about amazing. it a million times, so... Um, yeah, it, it was basically given to me by, um, uh, and this, and, uh, uh, Hun Lee, uh, is fucking phenomenal. I love that guy. He's got an undeniable char- uh, charisma to him. So I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Okay. So my last suggestion, just like Nick's is a house invasion, um, film. That being said, I think it does apply to the. Uh, slasher uh, genre a little more than Strangers uh, in that there is a clear final girl, for one, and mm-hmm. a very skilled final girl, and that uh, there is a mass killer, and that uh, he's stalking people in their uh, you know familiar surroundings that just happens that they don't really leave the house, per se. So it all, all takes place in a family home, and that film is your next. Mm. Awesome film. I... I've been a big fan of this flick for quite some time. Uh, I I really, really dig it. Uh, it came out in 2011. I've probably watched it a dozen times since it came out. Um, I was at the uh, world premiere of this movie at TIFF. Yeah. And uh, they they gave out um, Fox Mass, nice. Mass to, nice. to everyone in the audience. Nice. And uh, people were walking by in the line and they're like why are all these people wearing these creepy masks <laughs> like what movie are you seeing and i said like the nord uh, the the newest george clooney movie and like, <laughs> <laughs> george clooney's gonna save the world yeah yeah charm. but uh yeah i i i i i've watched this probably about five or six times yeah. uh, and that's not very uh, yeah that's quite a bit for uh, movies so, so recent so, yeah yeah excellent excellent film Great fucking final girl. Love it. And uh, I'd highly recommend it if you haven't seen it, but you probably have because it's great. Any other thoughts, gentlemen, um, on anything we've talked about over the past four episodes before we wrap it up? I think um, Freddy versus Jason is shit. (laughs) (laughs) Still can't let that one go. No. Me neither. Hey, the better film won. Yeah, the better film came up on top. And the better film only came up on top is because... His logic prevailed? 
Because Devin screwed me again. <laughs> oh. You were trying to you were trying to consort with him to to have an uprising. I thought we were cool, man. I thought we squashed the whole thing from hackers, but no. <laughs> All right, Devin. Any final thoughts, sir? Uh, no, no, no thoughts. No thoughts. Okay. Thought free. I'm really looking forward to the next era of slasher films. Like, I really want to see what's next and what's original and what's not a remake. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. I yeah. mean, there's a there's a handful of directors out there who can do it, and I'm just waiting for one of them to come up with a, a really good idea and just say, here we go. Another run. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I think it's only a matter of time. Yeah, I would like another good series. Yeah, you know, uh, I like like the majority of the films now are one offs. Like, I really want another film series. But there's been great one offs. Like, one offs oh, like, like, are good, but I just I want like a classic film series again. Yeah, and that's what a slasher to me is. It's yep. a classic film series. Yeah, yeah, I could see uh, Adam Wingard doing it. Yeah, uh, really well, but. Um, even though he makes really great films, they not really financially um, make a ton. No. Even even the new Blair Witch is considered a bomb. Yeah. Um, so uh, hopefully uh, we'll somebody with whole, hopefully somebody uh, with with money uh, will back someone to to do some really awesome slasher stuff again because there's still an audience. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah. All right, so I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, it's been so much fun. One hell Thank of you a guys ride. for having this conversation with me. Um, as we've been going along and talking, I've been watching a lot of the films after the episodes, mm. and that's been really rewarding um, and also kind of revisiting ones that maybe we missed uh, along the way and being like, oh, man, I can't believe we didn't talk about that. Uh, we'll have to save it for another episode. Um, I also want to say just a genuine thank you uh, to Trevor for coming out. Uh, I know before you were finishing up with Throne After Dark, and now obviously this is a busy season for you, uh, and it means a hell of a lot to me uh, personally, and I know to everybody here that you took the time to to come out, join us, and talk uh, slasher flicks with us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun um, talking slashers and cracking jokes and making fun of uh different things and uh yeah yeah i've never been on a podcast before so thanks for reaching out this is a real treat for me my pleasure my pleasure uh we'll have to do something again sometime um and i also would like to extend a thank you to everyone everyone who's in part of these episodes uh for our halloween series um so thank you to alex and andrea at the faculty of horror thank you to danny uh for coming out and doing the panel for uh stephen king it was a great talk and if you haven't checked it out yet that's something else for you to check out this week um additionally obviously go over and subscribe to their <laughs> podcast and word is that danny might have something interesting on the podcast front as well as some other stuff um to do with Mermel and other things coming down the pipeline so definitely uh, check him out you can also check out his band the Big City Nights band uh, if you feel so inclined uh, to listen to some cool kind of like alternative country blended stuff uh, great great stuff he's got some good tunes in there and they definitely 
push out a lot of volume, so you can always find new stuff of theirs. I want to say thank you to East uh, for, first of all, sending out a list, and he was trying to make it out for the Stephen King panel. He couldn't do it, uh, but he still sent out his list of his favorite uh, Stephen King films, and that obviously had a big impact on the films that we talked about on that episode. Uh, and then additionally, joining us for episodes one and two of Slasher Fest, um, you can check out East's podcast with uh, Tommy and Norm, which is Drunk with Power. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it's a good show, man. Power struggle. Uh, drunkwithpower.lipson.com. Uh, you can find them on Twitter at uh, DWP underscore gang. And you can also check out the 1992 Blue Jays, um, who... Should be playing soon in Toronto, and they're working on a new record, so uh, check out East Band. Uh, I quite dig them. Uh, who else we got to thank? Jesse, who, is join- who joined us for episode one and two of Slasher Fest. Um, um, you can check him out. You can check out uh, Vice Motherboard. Uh, he has done some episodes for them of a show called Abandonware. So they talk about old video games and kind of the story behind them. Uh, which is really cool. Some kind of uh, interesting, fun stuff there. You can also go to his uh, his production company or his a uh, team of people that have a production company together. Their website is hotwagonfilms.com. Go there, check out some of the shorts they've done, uh, and uh, keep up to date on some of the projects that they have coming. Uh, who else have we got to thank? Nick, thank you. You got anything coming down the pipeline? Just more visits here. You're up. You're coming here quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, I should next be. I should be back for Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, and war movies. movies, and I'm hoping we can finally get the scheduling conflict down on leading men in Hollywood. Oh yes, that's right. I forgot about that. God damn it, Steve McQueen needs his due after that <laughs> bullshit Magnificent <laughs> Seven remake. So we got to get that debate underway. Damn okay, straight. cool, cool, cool. You can um, find me. Yep. At gingers underscore revenge. Message me. I'm actually up for a debate online. I like arguing with people. Just message me if you're not a porn star. If you're not a porn star, because it's fucking all Twitter is, is just weird shitty porn star. Interesting rant. So yeah, I'm reach serious. out to Nick if you're not a porn star at yeah. gingers underscore revenge. You could be the guy on the bus. I don't care. Just message me. Awesome. Cool. You can be uh, Toronto Willem Dafoe. I want to meet. <laughs> I w- I'm going to go looking for Toronto Willem Dafoe. Dupont line, man. You'll find him there. I'm going to find him. <laughs> Devin, uh, thank you, sir, for manning the helm over there on the video camera and uh, and providing fact check and something like that in this episode uh, and and the and joining us for the tournament. Uh, how can people find you on the Twitter? Uh, <coughs> on the Twitter? Yes. Yeah. Uh, your homeboy, which is IR underscore homeboy. Excellent. And last but not least, Trevor, thank you again. Thank you. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at TerrenToronto, TerrenToronto.com, and most importantly, Facebook.com forward slash TerrenToronto. Hit that like button because uh, I want to show you some interesting stuff and I post stuff pretty much every day. So check it out. Excellent. And I'm at not Brandon Fleet. Um, and you can message the show at, uh, sorry, at MRML podcast, uh, which is, uh, at normal podcast. And you can also email us at show at movies for my life.com. Uh, and I don't know, uh, facebook.com yeah. slash movies for my life. We also need those numbers to get up. So while you're liking Trevor's site, like our site or like our Facebook page too. Message us to you like it. 
Perfect. Unless you're a porn star. Unless you're a porn star, then we don't want to hear from you. We don't want to hear from you. We're fine. If you're a porn star and you like our show, you can talk to us. Unless you got an idea for a parody, then maybe. Just maybe. Excellent. <clears throat> and, uh, and last but not least, I have to mention, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, um, Google Play Music, um, everywhere that podcasts can be heard and if we're not on your podcatcher of choice let us know and we'll get there for you i'm out of breath i've had a lot of fun it's halloween today as you guys are listening to this hopefully if our release strategy works happy halloween my candy damn it all right thanks for hanging out with us Come on, the year before I came as Jason Voorhees, you guys didn't have a problem, but I come as... Probably because half of them thought you were a goalie. I remember going as Jason, and no. people thought I was a goalie. Mm. Oh, no, I had the jumpsuit and everything. Like, my dad's yeah. old GM jumpsuit Same. and everything. <laughs> oh, you're a goalie this year, Brandon? Yeah, I'm a fucking goalie. I'm, I'm fucking... I'm Johnny Bauer. Jacques Plant. <laughs> Asshole. Johnny Bauer, get the hell out of my way. <laughs> In any case, Johnny Bauer didn't wear a mask. He could have. He stopped a fucking puck with his face. The guy's guy's a legend. Tough as nails. But in any case, horror movies. Oh, this isn't this isn't the Leafs show? No.